welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we explored reliable MS health solutions with Dr. Susan. We hope it was helpful to hear about some of the tools that have proven themselves to be solid investments for us and have yielded the most healing over time. This week, we're going to look at a topic very relevant for me right now. And while you might not think it's relevant for you at first, you might be surprised by the data. The past few weeks, our weather has been changing drastically where I live. We've still had daytime temperatures as high as 95 degrees while dipping into the 30s at night. And we got our first rain, albeit slight. This drastic switch in temperature and barometric pressure can do a number on us and be quite a shock to many of our body systems. And if you're like me, this is the time of year when I have also been historically most vulnerable in terms of MS, with both major exacerbations I've experienced occurring this time of year. Today, we'll unwrap the why behind the reason so many of us experience difficulty with the changing of the seasons. We'll look specifically at sinus pressure, how it's impacted by changes in barometric pressure, and why this is such an important topic for us all as part of the MS community to be well informed about. My gratitude for today is for my MS Symptoms Journal. Early on in my MS journey, I got the idea from a dear friend who had lived with MS a long time to log my experiences with MS. Little did I know how over time this would become one of the most important healing tools I have at my disposal. It has helped me to unpeel the onion, so to speak, layer by layer, to better understand my personal MS journey how I ended up with an MS diagnosis in the first place, and what I can do to live well with MS and hopefully slow its progression over time to keep it from taking over my life. My symptoms journal has also helped me to better understand myself at a deeper level, my strengths, my weaknesses, my perseverance, my life goals, my habits, both good and bad, and my intense dedication toward healing. If you don't currently keep an MS journal, I hope you'll start today. And here's the thing, this isn't something I write in every day. I only add to it when I experience something significant or have something new I want to try to track over time. By doing so, I've been able to make the invisible visible, to see my own unique patterns of pain and behavior and how the two intersect and relate to one another. 
This is also where I track new avenues of healing that I'm trying, like Symphony of the Cells Essential Oil Protocols or my current experiment with LDN. I also keep a gardening journal. This journal reminds me each year of when the first daffodils emerge, which I'm noticing over time as an early indicator of when the various fruit trees will ripen later that summer. It also shows the first rose bloom explosion that typically occurs in late March to early April window. And just like this gardening journal teaches me how to anticipate the many patterns that will emerge that year in my garden so I can plan accordingly, my MS journal helps me notice my personal health patterns and then do something about them. Since I have years of data now, I can now proactively plan for these seasonal fluctuations. By tuning into my unique cycles, I now know that this time of year is a time when I'm a little more vulnerable. As a result, I up my self-care. I am able to be much more gentle with myself in how I move and interact with others. I'm more kind with myself about needing rest, and I'm allocating my energetic spoons more carefully with greater intention. For example, I held off on releasing this episode last week because my energy was really low. And instead of pressuring myself to adhere to my internal deadline, I reminded myself that we are all people living with MS. You'll understand and maybe even applaud me for taking the time I needed to just rest. This year, more than any other, I have given myself permission to go slowly and embrace my inner tortoise. I am a little more hermaceous. I'm hunkering down in comfy clothes. I stay bundled under my weighted blanket just a little longer. And this is important without any guilt or shame. I warm my body safely and gently from within by marinating my insides in healthy antioxidants, by drinking herbal teas, and eating healthy soups and stews. I utilize many of the strategies shared in episode 40, Safe Ways to Boost Our Immunity This Fall. I press pause on the vigorous pace of life more frequently. Sometimes I wish I could be so generous and patient with myself year-round, and hopefully that will come in time. But for now, I am learning to treasure this season and all it brings, even the vulnerability that comes with it. This year, I decided to do more research to deepen my understanding of why this time of year is most difficult for me. And in doing so, I discovered that I might not be as alone in this challenge as I previously thought. Early on in my MS journey, I noticed a phrase, chronic sinusitis, noted in my MRI notes. Nobody talked to me about it, but as someone who reads through my medical records carefully, I found it interesting and took note. Sure, I knew I had a history of head congestion, seasonal allergies, and often colds that turned into bronchitis or pneumonia, which subsequently meant a lot of antibiotics over the years. And while I don't have a formal asthma diagnosis, I do get significantly asthmatic when I get sick, and that has occasionally been significant enough to require prescription asthma inhalers. I also sometimes wake up with sore ears, have ears too sensitive to wear in-ear headphones or earplugs, often feel a lot of pressure in my ears, and I do have tinnitus, which worsened significantly after an episode of optic neuritis. 
You may not have much in common with these symptoms I've shared, but you might be interested to know that there is actually significant relationship between sinusitis and MS. In the Neurologic Review Journal, I learned that the upper respiratory tract and paranasal sinuses are thought to be the source of infections in MS. There are several important aspects of this theory to share. First, we know that when we look at worldwide prevalence of MS, there are much higher rates of MS the further we go from the equator. This latitudinal effect, researchers believe, could be linked to exposure to a greater prevalence of respiratory infections during autumn and winter. Second, we know that many researchers believe that various microorganisms are involved when it comes to MS. We're learning more about gut health every day and how that plays into our MS. And viruses like EBV have shown to be quite common in the MS community. Even now, as we learn more about COVID-19 and how it's triggering neurological symptoms in long haulers, while tragic to those it has and will continue to impact, this will hopefully yield more helpful data in the future, enabling better understanding of the origins of MS and how to successfully treat it. Third, sinusitis in particular is present in more than half of MS patients when looking at MRI images. Similarly, more than 50% of MS patients report a history of repeated respiratory tract infections during childhood. In addition, the rate of MS exacerbations during attacks of sinusitis was found to be doubled. So, this means I'm likely not alone in experiencing the seasonal time of extra vulnerability. If you likewise find yourself struggling when colder weather hits, check out episode 19, Pumpkin Spice But Not Feeling So Nice, Cold Weather and MS, for the research and solutions to many of our cold weather symptoms. For this episode, I want to go a little deeper into understanding the research, specifically around sinusitis and barometric pressure. First, let's look at sinusitis. What in the world is it? Sinusitis is a common condition and is simply defined as inflammation of the paranasal sinuses. Sinusitis can be acute or chronic, and the causes of sinus inflammation include viruses, bacteria, fungi, allergies, and an autoimmune reaction. While sinusitis can be uncomfortable, it often goes away on its own. This is referred to as acute sinusitis, where symptoms typically go away after 7 to 10 days or can last up to 4 weeks. But for many of us, it can become a chronic condition, which is defined as symptoms lasting more than 12 weeks or symptoms returning at least 3 times during a calendar year. Did you know that over 50% of folks with asthma also have chronic sinusitis? The CDC published a report in 2018 showing that a minimum of 11.6% of the U.S. population suffers from chronic sinusitis. The symptoms of sinusitis can vary by person, both in how long they last and the severity, but common symptoms include facial pain or pressure, stuffed or runny nose, sore throat, post-nasal drip, cough, bad breath, headaches, fever, nasal discharge, toothaches, 
pressure, pain, or swelling around the nose, eyes, cheeks, and forehead, and a reduced sense of taste and smell. For me, I experience facial pain and pressure, headaches and head pressure, and occasionally post-nasal drip. It also seems to exacerbate my tinnitus and sore ears. So, who gets sinusitis? As mentioned, it's very common, but some things that increase our risk of developing sinusitis are having a history of respiratory tract infections, nasal polyps, which are small obstructive growths in our nasal passages, seasonal allergy sufferers, sensitivity to dust, pollen, dander, or animal hair, or having a deviated septum, and get this, or having a weakened immune system from medication or an autoimmune health condition. While many things can cause sinusitis, the result is that fluid becomes trapped in the sinuses, which allows germs to grow. The most common cause is viral, but bacteria, allergies, and asthma, as well as chemicals and other air pollutants can also trigger sinusitis. Fungal infections and molds can also cause fungal sinusitis. Interestingly, several well-known DMTs for MS are considered antifungals. For example, the DMT I currently take, Tecfidera, or dimethyl fumarate, is described as a potent allergenic sensitizer known for its antifungal properties. In fact, it was historically used to stop mold growth in finished products, such as shoes or leather couches, similar to the white crystalline powdered silica packets include in packaged goods to remove moisture. Fascinating. I want to share a bit more about mold exposure here too, because this has also been an important part of my personal MS story, and possibly a part of yours too. At the time of my diagnosis, I was living in a small rental property that was built in the 1950s and had very few, if any, improvements made to it over the years. The windows and bathroom would develop mold if I didn't stay on top of it with Melaleuca essential oil. When my landlord finally agreed to bring in the mold abatement team, they were able to detect visible mold, but were impressed I had actually successfully killed it all with Melaleuca. They gratefully removed the dead mold, and I gratefully removed a few years later to a much newer and safer home. Is mold really a big problem? About 25% of humans have the HLA-DR gene. This gene is responsible for identifying and eliminating foreign antigens like mold. And get this, 97% of people diagnosed with SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, possess the HLA-DR gene. When searching for similar data for MS, we find that while the HLA-DR gene is shown to be strongly linked with MS, the specific reasons why remain unclear at this time. HLA-DR plays an important role in helping immune cells properly communicate with each other, and deviations to this gene at least partly contribute to the cellular miscommunication, which results in an immune attack on the central nervous system. The same study reminds us again that the leading environmental risk factor for MS is infection with the Epstein-Barr virus, or EBV. 
Given that research, I plan to continue with the infectious disease and Maxim Symphony of the Cells protocols to offer my cells extra support during this bout of increased sinusitis and vulnerability. So before we leave the conversation on mold, how do we know if mold might be an issue in our home? First, you can call a mold abatement team. Most offer a free analysis. But there's other signs to consider. Some of the most common symptoms of mold-related chronic sinusitis are sinus headaches, fatigue, brain fog, allergy symptoms, discolored mucus, and nasal obstruction. Funny how so many of these are MS symptoms, no? Definitely makes you wonder. Mold is sneaky and can be really tough to get rid of, although as I mentioned, melaleuca is highly effective and non-toxic. It's important to know that it doesn't take a major leak for mold to thrive. Even high humidity can be enough to facilitate its growth. You might notice a musty smell, which is a high probability indicator of mold. Black mold, in particular, is one of the most common culprits in living spaces and is a microscopic living organism too small to see with the naked eye. When we can physically see mold, that's an indicator that mold has likely been present for a long time and grown into an area large enough to be visible. If you suspect you might be sharing a space with mold, it's important to call in an expert for an assessment and removal. Let's now shift gears to look at barometric pressure and how that plays into all of this. A Google search on barometric pressure, sinusitis, and MS yielded many results, most of which were personal anecdotal stories and questions. From this, I learned that it's common for us, as the barometric pressure lowers just before the rain comes, to feel overall less well and experience a marked increase in sinus pressure. It's important to share here too that slightly over half of all folks with MS report being adversely sensitive to heat. Even a tiny increase in our core temperature is enough to activate the annoying symptoms of vision changes, balance issues, muscle weakness, and other frustrating and debilitating symptoms. While these symptoms are annoying for sure, they gratefully rarely lead to long-term damage. If you struggle with MS symptoms resulting from heat, check out episode 13, Help, My Personal Thermostat is Broken, for the relevant research and solutions. Less widely experienced are cold weather symptoms for MS, and while the prevalence varies by source, it's estimated that a good 20 to 40 percent of those of us with MS struggle with cold weather-induced symptoms, such as reduced energy or mood and increased spasticity and pain. One source stated that if we struggle with any weather triggers, that tracking temperature, barometric pressure, humidity, and even solar flares can be helpful in better understanding our own tendencies and vulnerabilities. Just like my MS symptoms journal, following weather-related data might yield some important patterns for us, which can then help us plan preventative measures. By better understanding these complex factors and how they impact our unique bodies, we can learn how to better protect ourselves from incurring future MS damage. 
When we zoom out and look at data not just pertaining to MS, there's a lot more information on the correlation between weather patterns and headaches, migraines, and increased sinus pressure. So what is barometric pressure anyways? Barometric pressure refers to the pressure in the air or the amount of force that is being applied to our bodies from the air. Because much of our bodies and our sinuses are filled with air, any change in barometric pressure can drastically impact headaches, migraines, and our sinuses. It can also increase arthritic pain. Barometric pressure headaches occur when there's a significant drop in barometric pressure. When does this happen? Several aspects heavily impact barometric pressure. The first, as we've already mentioned, is weather. When low pressure weather systems move into our area, the barometric pressure drops because the air rises and begins to cool. As the low-pressure air rises into the atmosphere, it condenses, creating rain or snow. This is often why people say they can feel the bad weather coming in their bones. Another cause for drop in barometric pressure is altitude. As we go up in elevation, the barometric air pressure drops. Air contains less pressure the higher in elevation we go, which is why some folks experience altitude sickness at higher altitudes or after a rapid change in altitude. Altitude sickness often is experienced first as dizziness, nausea, fatigue, and headache. We might also experience similar sensations when traveling on a plane. As the pressure changes with the altitude on takeoff, we might experience ear popping or pain from that change. Extra sensitive folks like me can even feel the change when driving through tunnels, up or down large hills, or even in elevators. Humidity also causes barometric pressure to drop. Humidity refers to the amount of moisture that is in the air. When there are higher levels of vapor in the air we are breathing, it decreases the barometric pressure in the atmosphere and can result in painful migraines as our oxygen levels are impacted. In fact, most migraine sufferers experience a significant increase in the severity and frequency of migraines with drops in barometric pressure. What do barometric headaches and migraines feel like? They often feel like a regular headache or migraine, but can also be so severe that you might notice an increase in sensitivity to light, numbness in the face or neck, pain in one or both areas of your temples, and even nausea or vomiting. In Japan, researchers have noticed a significant jump in the sales of specific headache and migraine medications during the times of lowering barometric pressure. It's interesting to note that even very small changes can impact people significantly and cause barometric pressure-induced migraines. Barometric pressure is measured in hectopascals, and even a lowering of just 5 hectopascals can induce migraines. HPA is the abbreviation for hectopascal pressure units, which are exactly equal to millibar pressure units. While you can use a scientific calculator to determine the atmospheric pressure, we're lucky to have many tools available to do the calculations for us. 
To find out your area's current and historical barometric pressure, you can visit barometricpressure.app and enter your location. Or you can download a barometric pressure app on your smartphone. One that showed up regularly in the research as highly recommended is called Migraine Buddy. This app will notify you when there will be a significant change in barometric pressure in your area within a 48-hour period. Before we dive into additional solutions, I wanted to mention new research from just last year from the Olin Neuropsychiatry Research Center showing how weather actually changes our brain size, which can affect both physical and psychiatric conditions. This research group gained international attention by studying how shifts in air pressure change our brain volume. They specifically state that these types of changes can worsen symptoms like migraine, arthritis, psychiatric conditions, and MS. Dr. Gregory Book, a lead researcher on the project, states, quote, On a stormy day or in the winter, the cerebellum is larger than normal, while the rest of the brain is smaller than normal. In summer, the opposite happens. The team found distinct weather impacts on brain size in their study of over 3,000 neurologic MRI scans and over 2,000 scans of folks with various psychiatric disorders. While the size changes are small in measurement, the impact on certain disorders like MS, arthritis, migraines, and psychiatric disorders cannot be ignored. They plan to do more research, which is exciting, so keep an eye and an ear out if this interests you. Briefly, let's talk about the cerebellum for a moment so we can better understand how, when our cerebellum is experiencing distress, like from barometric pressure, what symptoms we might experience. This is also important to know if we have lesions in our cerebellum that may be tied to current difficulties we are experiencing. On a basic level, the cerebellum has four main functions. It receives information from our sensory systems, our spinal cord, and other areas of the brain, and uses that information to regulate our voluntary motor movements, such as posture, balance, speech, and overall coordination. The cerebellum is the second largest part of our brain and sits below the occipital lobes of the cerebrum and behind the brain stem. MRI lesion mapping is a great conversation to have with your neurologist when viewing your MRIs. Researchers use lesion mapping to study two areas of cerebellar function, motor coordination and motor learning. They can see how certain lesion locations are associated with gait issues, limb ataxia, and even eye blink responses. So it's possible to demise then that if barometric pressure can impact our cerebellum, we might experience an increase of issues monitored and managed by our cerebellum as well. So once we know if we are someone who is negatively impacted by barometric pressure and suffer from sinusitis, what else can we do to help ease our symptoms? In addition to using a tracking and notification tool like the app I previously mentioned, there are also a few other ways to reduce barometric pressure-induced migraines or sinusitis attacks. 
One recommendation is to wear barometric pressure earplugs, like Weather X earplugs. These are available on Amazon and get good enough reviews to convince me to try them. Inside the soft silicone exterior, there is an inner ceramic filter that supposedly slows down the shift in barometric pressure, diminishing the negative impact of a rapid shift. The WeatherX earplugs come with a free download of their app that will send a notification when it's recommended to wear them for your particular region. I will definitely share how they work for me in the future. I just received mine in the mail today and downloaded the app. It looks like I'll get an opportunity this coming weekend to try them, according to the app's forecast feature. At first glance, I like how the app is customizable over time, as each user learns their own unique threshold for barometric pressure-induced pain. Other recommendations include things like drinking a lot more water than usual. It's recommended that we drink half our weight in pounds, in ounces of water each day. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that means you should drink at least 75 ounces of water each day and significantly more when dealing with sinusitis. When experiencing changes in barometric pressure, the extra moisture can help ease the shock to our sinuses. Sinus rinses, like Neomed sinus rinse, can help alleviate pressure, and there are plenty of over-the-counter and prescription medications that can help when taken at the first sign of sinus pain. It's a good idea to discuss your personal sinus concerns with your doctor, and especially your neurologist and ENT or ear, nose, and throat specialist, if you have one, as they all approach sinusitis from a different perspective. Cold and hot compresses can also offer relief, as does light exercise, using a humidifier, and inhaling steam from a hot shower or steam room. Some folks, like myself, also experience relief using essential oils like Breathe Blend, Deep Blue Blend, Helichrysum, Lavender, or others. There are also eardrops and throat sprays that help encourage drainage. There are even nasal strips that can be worn across the bridge of the nose to help keep our nasal passages open. Getting lots of rest, a minimum of seven to eight hours of deep sleep, can also really improve sinusitis, as does eating anti-inflammatory foods and avoiding inflammatory foods. There are also a lot of acupressure points on our face and head that can help us alleviate pressure. And I want to spend just a few minutes here sharing more about acupressure for sinus congestion drainage because I've found this to be a tremendously effective avenue for relief these past few weeks. The acupressure points are the same points used by acupuncturists, but instead of needles, gentle pressure is used. Since I have yet to return to regular acupuncture treatments due to the pandemic, I'm finding that I'm relying on acupressure home treatments more and more for various pain points. What's great is that they are free and easy to do on our own body once we know where they're located. It is important to note that if you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant, you'll want to talk with your doctor before trying acupressure points because applying pressure to some acupressure points can actually cause you to go into labor. 
Acupressure can immediately ease pain and pressure, or sometimes it's more gradual and may take several days to achieve relief. I also read that maintaining pressure for at least three minutes in each area is important. At first, that seemed like an unnecessarily long time to me. But with testing, I actually did find that after the initial relief I felt within a few seconds, that additional major relief started to come at about the 45 second mark, and then again around the two and a half minute mark. It's important to understand a bit more about our sinuses so that we understand how acupressure works. Our sinuses make mucus, which keeps our nose moist, which protects us from germs, dust, and other allergens. This protective mucus drains from the hollow sinus spaces around our nose and flows down the back of our throats. We have four pairs of sinuses connected to our noses. There's one on each side of our nose in our cheekbones, between the eyes and the bridge of our nose, behind our eyes, and above our eyes on our forehead. It's important to understand this and to relieve pressure in all sinus areas. There are generally nine pressure points for sinus relief. I'll post a link to a helpful article on Patreon for your convenience. But if you're not yet a Flock member, you can find this information at healthline.com slash pressure points for sinus. If you're listening somewhere it's safe to try to locate these points while I describe them, go for it and see what you feel. Even if you're not currently congested, you may still experience a noticeable immediate release of pressure and fluid. If you're wanting to try these to alleviate sinus pressure that you're experiencing right now, you'll want to pause this podcast and give yourself a full three minutes for each location. I'll also mention that I've found it enhances relief when I use imagery and focus on breathing slowly and actually envision the oxygen flowing throughout my sinus cavities in my head. The first point is known as LI20, large intestine 20. These points are found at the base of your nose on each side, where the base of your nostrils butts up against your cheeks Place one finger and press gently. Sometimes I like to gently pull on my earlobe if I'm doing one side at a time for additional relief for this spot and others. The only way to truly know what works best for each of us is to try it. The second point is known as BL2, bladder, and these points are located at the inner side of our upper eyelids where they meet the bridge of our nose. By sliding our index fingers into the hollow between our eyebrows and nose, we can apply gentle pressure to these points. The third acupressure point is called yin tang, or often referred to as the third eye since it's located between our eyebrows. To locate, place one or two fingers between your eyebrows just above the bridge of your nose. Apply gentle pressure for a few minutes. I find that gently rotating my fingers in a clockwise and then counterclockwise fashion also helps. The fourth acupressure point is called SI18, small intestine, and it's on both sides of our nose, just below our cheekbones. These points in particular help soothe a runny nose and congested sinuses. To find these points, run your index finger down from the outer edge of each eye, 
until you reach the bottom of your cheekbones. This is typically about level with the lower edge of our nose. We can apply pressure to both sides at once or alternate between the two. The fifth acupressure point is GB20, gallbladder 20. These are points on the back of our heads in the grooves where our neck muscles attach our head to the rest of our bodies. These points are highly effective for headaches, watery eyes, and general cold and flu symptoms. The easiest way to find them is to clasp your hands behind your head and use your thumbs to locate the grooves behind your ears at the base of your skull. I've also found that using my cervical neck traction stretcher pillow device helps with this acupressure point. And I love that as a chronic multitasker, I can use it while lying down and can concurrently apply pressure to other points for faster relief. The sixth acupressure point is LI4, large intestine. These points are actually on the backs of our hands and help soothe facial pain and headaches from sinusitis. These points can be found by looking at each hand palm down with your thumbs and pointer or index fingers close together. This will create a slight bulge between your thumb and index finger. Take your other thumb and index finger and apply pressure to this mound, then switch. The seventh acupressure point is LU5, the lung meridian. These are located on the inside of each elbow and help relieve congestion. With your arms stretched out in front of you with your palms facing up, you can locate the point in the crease on the thumb side of your inner elbow. Apply pressure and then repeat on the other arm. For this spot in particular, I had to rotate my pressure around a bit before I found the right spot for me. The eighth acupressure point is LU9, lung meridian, and these are located on the inside of the wrist. These points are best for relieving symptoms in the throat area. To find them, hold your hand up in front of you with your palm facing you. Locate the crease where your hand connects at the wrist and place your finger on the crease where the base of your thumb meets your wrist. Repeat on the other wrist. The ninth and final acupressure point we'll look at today is LIV3, liver. These are actually on our feet and are best at relieving pain around our eyes. To find these points, sit on the floor with your knees bent and your feet in front of you and position your finger between your big toe and the adjacent toe. Slide your finger up your foot about the width of two fingers and apply gentle pressure. You can do both feet at once or alternate. In addition to acupressure, meditation and also other methods of relaxation can help as well. My recent ear crush on Jason Stevenson's guided meditations on YouTube have been helpful in this area as there's several specifically geared towards soothing headache, migraine, and stress relief. I've also been listening to binaural beats sound therapy on YouTube for clearing sinus congestion. These are best listened to with headphones as they play specific frequencies to relieve congestion in a rotating pattern from ear to ear. It's kind of trippy to listen to, but after 20 minutes, I can definitely feel a difference.
No one technique works for everyone, so it's important to keep trying different ones until we each find what works best for us. Lastly, if you're a smoker and suffer from barometric pressure, headaches, or migraines, it's highly recommended to quit smoking. While smoking addiction isn't a personal challenge of mine, I know several MS folks that I care about deeply who have been able to quit smoking through hypnosis. They reported it was immediate and not near as hard as they anticipated. As Dr. Susan recently shared, smoking is one of the worst indicators of MS progression over time. If you need help quitting, please reach out and get the help you need. If you want to explore hypnosis with an awesome practitioner who also has MS and manages her symptoms through hypnosis, check out episode 22, Change Our Mind to Change Our Life, Exploring Hypnotism for MS. When we first talk with our doctor about headaches, they'll likely want to know about our past medical history, as well as family members who might also experience chronic headaches or migraines. They will likely conduct tests like a neurological exam, blood tests, MRI, CT scan, and even a lumbar puncture. The bottom line is that we can't control the weather. That said, by being informed about weather changes and how they impact us uniquely, and armed with a medicine bag full of helpful tools, we can weather the storm, so to speak, a lot better than if we are a passive bystander and don't take informed control over our health. By doing so, we can effectively and proactively reduce the negative impact of barometric pressure on our bodies in the short and long-term. I hope you found it helpful to learn about the prevalence of sinusitis in the MS community and how changes in barometric pressure can impact our sinuses and our potential for increased MS exacerbations. My hope is that after this episode, we, one, all feel inspired to maintain a personal MS symptom health journal to help make our personal patterns more visible over time so we can actually do something about them. Two, that we accept that while we can't control the weather, there are many tools at our disposal to help us prevent and relieve sinusitis, headaches, and migraines, especially when barometric pressure is at play. And three, that we leave this episode committed to helping ourselves through this potentially vulnerable time of year by upping our self-care and taking notice of how we are each personally impacted by barometric pressure and sinusitis. Our next Misunderstood Flock meeting will be Saturday, November 6th. At the flock meeting, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released this month and just spend some virtual time together supporting one another as we all strive to live well with MS. If you're not yet a flock member but would like to be, join us. We meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. 
We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.